Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. You guys doing all right? Yep. <laughs> I was reading through psychology today, which I do sometimes, and I learned a new psychology word. I maybe can use it in conversation, but it's called post-party depression. Not postpartum depression and not a hangover, but post-party depression. And it's actually this thing that psychologists have found happens very often in a lot of people. And it happens in the moments or the hours or the days after a big event or a big celebration or the conclusion of like a huge uh, work project. And it's when kind of the the happiness and joy and excitement of that big event kind of subsides and some less pleasant feelings kind of sneak in. And I read about an article where the author was talking about the last Christmas that she shared with her family. She says, what I remember more than anything was the day after when things were quiet again. And I felt a surprising sense of sadness, loneliness, and disappointment. This feeling seemed to follow no matter how happy the festivities had been, how well the family behaved or how badly things had gone. It was easy to understand my unhappiness if the day had gone badly, but as I came to understand, even wonderful celebrations can lead to a letdown when they're over. You ever felt that? It's a weird feeling. Uh, it's called the, uh, the, the Monday blues for pastors. It's after your sermons are preached and, oh, I got to write another one. You know, Sundays come every seven days. I've been lobbying to change that to no avail, but... The Monday Blues, I got it the day after um, we launched our church in Asheville, which is such a big deal. And then I get it every single year, the few days after all the amazing Easter services that we have at all of our campuses. You ever felt that way before? Maybe it's not Christmas or something like that. Maybe it's like Thanksgiving when, you know, it's in the afternoon, you're so full of turkey. Some of you, wild turkey, I know you. And, uh, but you got you to gotta do the dishes. You got to put the, the food and Tupperwares and it's back to reality back to the grind or maybe it's like the morning after July 4th when it's humid and you're kind of hosing off the burn marks from like the fireworks the night before. Maybe it's after a kid's birthday party, right? The first year birthday party or a big work presentation when the celebration is over and it seems like it just began and it's back to normal. It's back to ordinary. It's back to the humdrum, just normalness of life. And psychologists have been trying to figure out why we feel this way so often after these big events. But I think the Bible kind of makes it clear, you know, as, as human beings, we were meant to live in a perfect world. Like we were meant to live in Eden and have perfection and have all that contentment and joy that we had back then. And I think every single human heart has like this deep-seated uh, memory of Eden. And uh, every single time we kind of say, this is going to be the thing that's going to fill us up. This is going to be the thing that's going to give us joy. We're just kind of disappointed to realize that no, nothing in creation can ever satisfy us like it was really meant to. And Jesus comes back. You ever know, there's like a glass ceiling uh, to this much joy, no more, this much happiness, this much contentment to bad things, but as well as good things. And God's put that glass ceiling there because he didn't want us to worship creation. Everything here is meant to point to him. But isn't it true that that doesn't stop us from trying to wring and pry as much happiness and as much joy as we possibly can from all these different things in the world? 
that it's money or body image or relationships or drugs or alcohol or that next promotion, you name it, we've probably put our hopes in it only to end up disappointed. Why didn't this satisfy? And then we're on the, 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 another path. Maybe we'll try this or we'll try this or we'll try this. And they always kind of lead in dead ends. And I talk about this a lot. This is a theme because I was, I was there for long seasons of my life. I call it the search or I call it the treadmill where you're running for joy and running and you're never, ever getting anywhere. And by God's grace, he showed me what I was doing and took me off that treadmill and put me on the right path. But I remember talking to a guy a few years after I started ministry, a few years after I got out of that treadmill sort of lifestyle. And he had recently come to know Jesus. And so I wanted to hear his story. And he sat down and was telling me that he was real big into the club scene. And he was real big into party drugs and going home with whoever he could after a good party. And he said, Chase, I, I lived that way for about a decade of my life. And I was at my lowest point, just super depressed, slowly thinking, man, maybe this isn't the life that it's cracked up to be. And he said, I was at a club and I experienced something that I'd never experienced before. It was last call. And uh, we knew it was about time to get going, but apparently the club owner was, was in a hurry to close up shop and he did something that no club has ever done before. They cut the music off and they cut the lights on. And he said, I looked around the room and there are sick people everywhere and people stumbling and people high out of their minds and people desperately trying to find someone to go home with and to spend the night with, to kind of just have a little bit of acceptance, a little bit of approval. And I saw that all these paths that I was walking on, it's like God turned on the light. And I saw where they all led and it scared me to death. So I got out of that lifestyle and I turned to Jesus and my life changed. Well, it's, it's into this bittersweet situation, into a post-party context that Jesus in our text today is, is figuratively going to turn on the light. And he's going to give us our next I am statement. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 7 and 8. We're going to be in John for the whole series. But as you're turning there, um, Jesus does not show up to a Jewish club. Okay, that's not what he does. Um, he does show up during a, a celebration or a festival. And if you don't know the Jewish calendar, there were three main festivals that they celebrated. There was uh, Pentecost, there was the Feast of Trumpets, and there was the Feast of Booths. And that's what's going on during our text today. And the Feast of Booths, it was the last festival or celebration of the Jewish calendar. It happened uh, about the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, so September, October, our time. And it lasted eight days from Sabbath to Sabbath, and it was a harvest festival. It was a celebration of God allowing them to bring in the harvest. And it was this kind of, this, it was also a reminder of how God didn't just provide for them that year, but they always look back to how God provided and protected and guided them in the wilderness during the Exodus and how he gave them water and how he gave them food and gave them what they needed even in the desert. And so it was this, this big thank you for providing for us here and, and way back then. And God, would you do it again? Would you keep providing for us uh, what we can't provide for ourselves? And it's called the Feast of Booths because during this feast or festival, every single family would build a tent or a lean-to out of sticks and out of boards. And uh, they, would, they would build it on their rooftops if they had a house in Jerusalem, or they'd build it along the roadsides if they were traveling there to celebrate. And they would kind of reenact what it was like um, to live in temporary shelters or tents as they went from place to place in the wilderness. And it was uh, the, the favorite festival of, of a Jew's life. They just loved it. In fact, uh, people would flock to Jerusalem um, all over Israel uh, for this feast. And every single adult male was required to be there to celebrate, uh, celebrate that festival in Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem. And uh, this is where our story kind of picks up. Jesus is in Galilee and his brothers are like, all right, we're going to go. When are we going to go? And Jesus is like, I, I don't think I'm going to go this year. And they're kind of shocked. They actually kind of mock him. But the reason he doesn't want to go is because his relationship with the Pharisees is at such a point that if he publicly speaks or teaches or does any sort of ministry whatsoever, the Pharisees are going to arrest him and they're going to kill him. So he hangs back and his brothers go on to Jerusalem. But apparently Jesus sneaks into the city and he goes in private and he goes to the festival. And it says this, John, uh, but he doesn't say private for long. John 7, 14, about the middle of the Feast of Booths, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And I don't know what changed in Jesus' heart. Like maybe he just went to be around those that he loved, like the lost sheep of Israel, the people that he came to save. But there's these ceremonies they would do every single day and there's prayers associated with them. And maybe Jesus heard all these people he loved like crying out, hey God, God, could you send someone to fix the situation that we're in? You know, Rome and all that. God, could you intervene again like you did in the Exodus? God, could you send someone to save us, to make a way, to shine a light in this darkness? And maybe Jesus was hearing all these prayers and couldn't help himself and kind of had to say, yeah, guess what God has and it's me. And so he gets up and teach and we're not sure exactly what he teaches, but this argument kind of breaks out about who he really is. And uh, the emphasis of how he responds to the crowd is literally that, I am the one that God sent. I'm the one that God sent. You've been waiting for God to send someone. It's me. So three times in chapter seven and three times in chapter eight, so six times total, he uses this word sent. In verse 16, my teaching's not mine, but his who sent me. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Verse 33, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. And there's three more times in chapter eight. He's basically saying, you're praying for something and I'm the answer. I'm the one that God sent. Well, the Pharisees see him stand up and teaching and they, feel, they realize he's talking to the audience right now like he's done with the sermon. So they seize the opportunity. They send armed guards to kind of storm the stage where he's at to arrest him. But he slips out. Jesus is slippery like that. He does it like a dozen times. It's crazy. It's like right when you think they got him, he slips through their fingers and he doesn't allow them to get close enough until it's his time. And Jesus slips away and he goes into hiding again for four whole days. And no one sees him. He doesn't do any ministry. He doesn't do any teaching. We have no record of what he did during that time. But he shows back up again and he does so in dramatic fashion. But you got to understand one of the ceremonies to see how cool it was. Uh, one of the daily ceremonies they would do is known as the water drawing ceremony. And it was something that wasn't commanded in scriptures to do during the Feast of the Booths. It's just something the Pharisees actually made up, which is really ironic, and you'll see in a second. Uh, but it's midday, and what they would do is all the priests and the priests in training would go down to the pool of Salome. Everyone say Salome. It's going to come in handy later. If that, if that sounds familiar, it's because that's the pool that Jesus told the blind man we talked about last week to go wash his, the mud off his eyes in. It's Siloam. And so these, these, these priests would go down to this, this pool of Siloam, which was really, it was a pool that was fed by an underground spring that came from the valley of Kidron. So it was this crystal clear, untainted water, which made it um, kosher to like do ceremonial washings in. So it was used quite a bit. And it was kind of like this overflowing pool because the underground spring never really stopped. And so they would go down to this pool and they would take a golden goblet and they would dip it in the pool of Siloam and they would have this huge procession or a parade all the way through the streets of Jerusalem, all the way to the altar. 
And while they were going, shofars would be playing and there'd be cheering and music and clapping and dancing and they would chant the Psalm of Ascents, which is a, a section of the book of Psalms. And they'd get up to the altar and they'd march around at one time and then the crowd would get dead silent. And they'd pour the water out on the altar along with this goblet of wine. And then they, all the people would, would get down on their knees and start to pray. And they would thank God for the rain, for, for, for providing for them for the harvest and, and ask him to provide more. Or maybe even they would pray, hey, my life's not working out that great, God. <laughs> Can you show me a better well to drink from? Or God, I've, I've been looking for joy and satisfaction that this water kind of symbolizes. And, and I just can't seem to find it. Can you show me what path to go down and they would rehearse all these different Old Testament texts and maybe some of them would read Isaiah 12. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Or maybe Isaiah 55. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come by and eat. And so they pray and they pray and they pray and they go back. But on the eighth day, the last day, the great day, the parade would be even bigger. The songs would last even longer. And when they got to the altar, they'd march around it seven times, seven times. And the people would go crazy and they'd be clapping and they'd be dancing. And finally, after the seventh time, they'd go silent and they'd pour the water and they'd pour the wine. And the people would begin praying and picture yourself there because it's, it's maybe at this moment where Jesus says in John 7, 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, do we know that Jesus said it at that exact moment? No, but come on, you think Jesus would miss that opportunity? But no matter when he said it, the truth is clear. He's saying, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. If anyone has that, that bittersweet feeling, if anyone feels lack, if anyone feels like there's something missing in life, like, is this all there is? Is this all there ever will be? Then come to me. I'm the one that you've been looking for all along. I'm the one that was sent to satisfy. In fact, you can't see it in the English. But remember how he emphasized, I'm the one that God sent, sent, sent in chapter seven and sent, sent, sent in chapter eight. You know what Salome means, the pool of Salome? Well, Jesus, John tells us, John 9, 7, go wash in the pool of Simone, which means sent. <laughs> you don't even realize what you're doing. This is a symbol that's pointing to me. I'm the reality that this shadow points to, right? You're drawing from this well, but this well is meant to symbolize and point you to me. You're chasing after money, but you should be chasing after me. Right? You're drawing from the well of relationships or, or finances or body image, but all of that is just meant to point to me. I'm the real deal. You can have the real thing. Drink from me, draw from me. And he actually goes beyond this and he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's saying, I'm not like an ordinary well. Salome, you draw from it, guess what? You gotta come right back tomorrow because you'll be thirsty again and the next day, and the next day, but you drink from me, you believe in me, and you will never thirst again. That thirst will be a thing of your past. In fact, I'll go beyond that. You won't just be drinking, you'll actually become a pool that's fed from an underground spring, just like the pool of Siloam. And you'll be so filled up with the thing that you've been searching for and could never find that you'll just start overflowing into the lives of others. He's talking about the spirit. I don't have time to go into that. But he's saying really in public, 
what he said in private to the woman at the well. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal life. And that's a huge statement, isn't it? Satisfaction, joy, it's found in me. You can't find it in anything else that this world has to offer. And it's not found in me plus something else that this world has to offer. It's only found in me. That's a huge statement. But can I just, can I tell you from experience? And there's hundreds of people sitting around you at our campuses or, or listening with you online that could tell you the same thing. And billions of people all across the world that could say, it's true. It's true. I've drank from well after well after well. I'm talking about myself. Chase. I've tried, you name it, I've probably tried it. And every single well just comes up dry. And I wish I could sit every single one of you down and just tell you story after story. I tried there, nope, I tried there, nope, I tried there. But Jesus is different. To have your sins forgiven and the failures of your past just washed away and nearness with the Father and the Spirit inside and being transformed to who God's created me to be and have a purpose and have a goal in my life. If this were a different kind of church, I'd ask someone to get up and testify, right? Maybe we'll get there, I don't know. But if I asked you, what you'd see is dozens of people standing up and saying, yeah, I tried other wells, but Jesus is different. He never runs dry. He fully satisfies. He delivers on this promise. You drink from him and your life's gonna change, amen? That's what Jesus was proclaiming. And that's not even the I am statement, so I gotta keep going. But apparently some people listening were so thrown off guard, they're like, you know what, let's try it. And they, they began to follow Jesus. And they drank and they saw that he's telling the truth. But some people didn't. And this argument breaks out again. Well, you say you're that, but I kind of think Jesus, you're this. Or I think he's this, or I think he's this. And some people refuse. I don't want to drink from you. Some people maybe said, you know what, I'm kind of digging this relationship or money thing. And I'm not completely filled, but maybe if I keep going down that path. Maybe I'll get there eventually. And Jesus kind of knows this and it breaks his heart. He just risked his life to stand up and teach, you know. But he goes away and he goes away for one evening to pray on the Mount of Olives. And then he comes back, maybe with these people in mind. And he risks his life again. And it says this, John 8, 2, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Now, what morning is this? What morning did we just talk about the day? the last day, the great day. So this is morning after the last day. This is the morning after the celebration's over, when the cleanup had started, when that kind of bittersweet feeling sets in. And there's one other ceremony I'll tell you about. It's called the illumination of the temple. And it's where before this whole feast started, they would set up four 75-foot candelabras in the court of the women or the treasury. In fact, I have a picture. We're going to show it on the screen right now. Um, for those of you who don't know what the temple looks like, this is the temple. Um, this is the temple mount. And that thing in the center is the actual temple. That, that fence around it, that's the court of the Gentiles we talked about last week. If you walk in through the front door there, that's the court of the women. You see those candelabras, those huge 75-foot towers? If you go a little bit further, it's the court of men, then the holy, then the holy of holies. But that's, that's where the candles were. And they were, um, the, the wicks were made from old priestly garments. And they would put ladders up against these candelabras and... Uh, uh, early in the evening, the priest in training would, would climb up those ladders and fill these huge reservoirs with olive oil, and they would light these massive candles, and they would burn all night long. 
And because the temple's on a hill, I wish I could show you that picture, it's high above, and Jerusalem kind of faces the temple, kind of leans in towards it, it would illuminate every single rooftop and every single home in all of Israel. And it, because there's no electricity, it's like these, few, these four huge bonfires on a hill, and it would burn all night long, and the people would sing, and they would dance, and they would worship in the early morning light. And uh, it was meant to remind people of the light that God led them through the darkness in the wilderness, right? A pillar of a fire by night. And it was just this time of saying, hey, in dark times you led us. Well, we're in dark times right now. Can you come and lead us again? And this is where Jesus arrives, but not at night. The morning after, where the ashes are still on the ground and the priests are kind of climbing up and taking the wicks down and removing the oil. And they're thinking, okay, another year, another feast back to normal, back to the darkness. And it's here that Jesus comes. John tells us, John 8, 20, these words he spoke in the treasury, right underneath these candelabras where he stands and he doesn't yell. John says he just stands up and he speaks. He says, I, I'm the light of the world. Let go of me. I am, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's saying, no, 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 you don't have to go back to the darkness. I've come to turn the lights on once and for all. To show you what your life's really, to show you the path that you're walking down and to show you the path that leads to life. Come to turn the lights on to show you a different path that you can walk down. And I want to show you where it is. I've come to take you by the hand and lead you there as well. It says, I am the light of the world. And John says that in those few short moments, underneath those burned out candles, morning after the party's over, many saw their lives that they really were for the first time and, and they chose to follow Jesus, John 8.30. As he's saying these things, many believed in him. As I'm preparing the sermon, I thought, you know what, I could spend a few more pages trying <laughs> to explain. Drink for me, Right? Or I'm the light of the world, and I just came to an end. I'm like, no, this is too glorious. This is too massive. This is too deep for my puny little words to do anything. I'm just trusting the Spirit. You got enough, but I just want you to know that, that, that the invitation of Jesus to drink from him and to step into the light, it, it still stands. Whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time. You thirsty today? You've been chasing after something that hasn't been panning out. Or maybe you've been doing that over and over and over again on the treadmill and the cycle. You're starting to believe that maybe the world might just be lying to you. That this whole money thing, promotion after promotion, body image, relationship, alcohol, party lifestyle, whatever it is, it's just not all it's cracked up to be. Right? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Like today, you can drink for the first time or the thousandth time. And you can step into the light for the first time or for the, the millionth time. But there's two conditions. Did you see him? Two conditions. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. You know what thirst is? It's nothing in and of itself. It's the lack of something. It's your body crying out because it needs something that it doesn't have. You want to drink from Jesus, you have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge, I can't provide for myself what I was created for, and I've been trying, and it doesn't work. You have to admit to yourself and out loud, 
I lack, I'm missing something. And then you have to go to God to provide that for you. Not only do you have to admit your thirst, but second condition is you have to follow the light. Did you see that? He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Not just look at the light, not just believe in the light, not just notice it, not just study it, not just take notes about it, but actually take step after step and follow it. You, you ever been camping with like a, a big group of people and realize, oh man, we only got one flashlight. And you're like, no big deal until like three of you have to pee at like 3 a.m., right? And you hear the tent rustling. You're like, okay, it's, here's my shot. And you got that one guy with the flashlight. What are the other people? They're right, they're right next to him, right? Avoiding like the night bugs are worse than day bugs, right? So you're following this guy and you, every step he takes just to stay in the light, every step. That's what Jesus is talking about, right? It's not just that initial step, but it's that continually following. Now that initial step is important. You have to take that. If you have it, you need to. It's that initial step where you turn your back on the darkness and you step into the light. And let me just warn you, it's gonna be disorienting. And those of us that have done it know it. And it's weird and it's uncomfortable and it's hard because everything in your life takes on a different shape. And it's like you're seeing it for the first time. It's because you are. You're seeing your life for what it really is. You're just viewing truth for the first time. And it's scary because some of the things that you love and that you like and you think are beautiful and you think are awesome when the lights come on, they turn ugly and you see they're dangerous and you see some of them are, are deadly. Things like a relationship, or maybe a secret sin. Maybe you'll see an addiction that you didn't even know that you had. Or maybe there's this dream that you've been chasing after your whole life and when the lights come on, you're like, that, that is not a good dream and it hurts to let it go. And you'll also see some things that you've been avoiding, that you think are ugly, that you think are harmful when the lights come on. Those are the very things that you need, things like, like discipline and submission and holiness and obedience. And you'll see all of this when you walk into the light of Jesus, but he's inviting you to do more than that, to not just take that first step, but to follow step after step after step, not to get salvation, not to get forgiveness, just the turning in that initial step is enough, but in order to get the light, see? And some of you might be listening right now and you've taken that initial step, but somewhere along the way, you just stopped and you stood still. And you look around, you're like, how did my marriage get here? Where, where's the joy that I once had? Why do I feel this huge? It's because you stopped, because you stopped and you started trying to drink from other wells and you know better than that because you stop following hard after Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter the price. And maybe today's the day that you put a stake in the ground and say, no, no, I'm chasing after Jesus again. I'm done messing around with the stuff in the world because it never satisfies. It never delivers what it promises. I'm gonna chase hard after Jesus. Or maybe you've been coming to church for a few weeks or a few months and you've been taking notes and you've been talking to people about Jesus and you've been reading about Jesus and nothing in your life has changed because you haven't taken a step to follow him. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Or maybe you're just hearing about all this for the first time and you're like, dude, you're so intense, sorry. But maybe this invitation sounds good to you. And so I just wanna give us a chance online across all of our campuses to just have a moment, not 30 seconds, but just a few minutes to respond, to respond. Because when Jesus tells us who he is, that's when we really figure out who we are in need of a drink, living in darkness, longing for light. So if we could bow our heads and close our eyes, 
across all of our campuses. If you're just hearing this for the very first time, the Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. And so I just want us to do that, as weird as that is, but if you're here and you say, yeah, I, I'm tracking with all of this and Jesus is something I've never tried and I want to, could I just ask you maybe just to whisper it, maybe to say it out loud, maybe just to say it in your heart, but could you just speak these words? Just tell God, God, I'm thirsty. Just say it, say I lack. I'm empty. And then would you ask him to supply? God say, just would you fill me? Would you forgive me? And would you fill me? And then would you just make this proclamation, a promise that you might break and that's okay. But would you just say, God, and I wanna follow you. I wanna follow you. If you said that, a host is gonna come out in the next few minutes and tell you your next steps. I wanna plead with you to take those next steps. But maybe you're here and you've taken that first step. But there's some area of darkness in your life. And I'm still finding parts of my life that are like that, not in complete darkness, but they're heading towards the shadows. And over the past few weeks, man, God's just been saying, no, give that to me, bring it back into the light. Maybe it's a secret sin that you have. Maybe it's a secret relationship. Maybe it's addiction where you're like, you know what, I'm fine. I don't need to change. But deep down, you know that you do, and it's holding you back. It's keeping you from the light. And you know right now that you need to tell someone, that you need to confess to someone, that you need to call someone and forgive them, that you need to take an action in order to keep following Jesus. Maybe today's the day where you just put a, a, a stake in the ground. Say, today's the day that I turn my back on the darkness again and walk towards the light. And here's the cool thing. You might think it's hidden from God, but it's not. His light illuminates everything. He sees all the darkness. He sees all the sin, and yet his invitation still stands. Come drink, come follow. Or as I look out here a few moments ago, I see some, some saints that I know are close to you. And if that's you, maybe you just take this time to say, thank you. I don't know how I've been able to stay in the light. That's a work of you. God, thank you for keeping me in the light. Would you do so more and more? So whatever it is, just want to give you a moment to respond. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.